Well, one thing, I, I just want to backtrack a minute. Mm-hmm. One, Cal Fitbits. Uh, <laughs> that's one thing I want to address. And two, the other thing, uh, you said that the tractor is, is that like the first step in automated driving, just like farming? Pretty much. Hello and welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brandon Black, and today's episode is yet another consumer conversation. This one is with another fellow podcaster of mine named Jack, and he runs That Pointless Podcast. And he's going to get a chance to give his own little introduction and plug and all that kind of stuff, but I just want to preface this episode by, first of all, thanking Jack for coming on and doing this episode. Uh, he does a great job over on his podcast. We had a lot of fun on his episode. Make sure you go and give it a listen. Uh, just a warning, it's not safe for work if that's not something you're into, but it overall is a, is a fantastic project, and I really enjoyed being on it. Uh, the second thing I wanted to announce before we go into the episode is that I noticed uh, recently that I got a notification from Anchor, the hosting platform that I, I run my podcast through, that I got my first supporter. Now, for those of you who don't know, the supporter system is something that I can uh, run through my podcast. I've had it on there for about a month now, but I haven't really uh, advertised a lot just because it wasn't something that I really prioritized. But basically, there's a link at the bottom of every episode description that I post that has a support this podcast option. And when you press it, it takes you to the anchor page and allows you to actually donate money to my podcast. It could be a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. And you can just like put in your name and and card number and then you can become a supporter for a certain amount of time. It could be for a month. It could be for, you know, however, however long you decide to do it. Um, I didn't really advertise this because I never really considered my podcast something that I wanted to make money off of. Uh, I I am making money off of it because of the ads and that's all, you know, well and good and everything, but I didn't really want the podcast to be something that you guys felt like you needed to pay for to, to listen to. Um, I added the supporter option in there to the bottom for anyone who wanted to support me if they wanted to find it. And we actually got someone. Um, my first supporter's name is Faith. That's all the information I have. So I don't really know how to thank that person. But I just like to, you know, make it public on this episode that I really, really appreciate the support. Uh, Faith is is a, um, she donated $5 for a month, which I am so grateful for. And I, I can't thank you enough. So, uh, yeah, thanks again, Faith, whoever you are. Um and for the rest of you, don't feel like you're, you're obligated to support me by any means. You know, like I said, this podcast is a free service. You guys are more than welcome to listen to it without any kind of, of financial support, and I'm perfectly okay with that. Any financial support is appreciated because it all goes back into the podcast. It all goes back into this ag education project, and uh, it's always nice to see that, that level of support and that you guys are really interested in this and that you guys uh, have faith in, in the idea that I can I can do something powerful with this. And so I really appreciate that. But again, it's not an obligation. It's not a requirement. It's just something that I wanted to put in there for anyone who wants to use it, but it's just... I never imagined I'd actually get a supporter. So now that I see that I have one, it just it, it fills my heart with with joy that that's something that you guys are are uh, really worth you know, the you guys think is really worth doing. So thank you again, Faith, for your for your support over the next month, and it's something that I definitely definitely appreciate, and I will be shouting out in every episode uh, at the end. So I just want to shout that out beforehand in case you guys missed it. Uh, I will be shouting out again, again at the end, but you know, thank you again for everything. Now here's the episode. Hey guys, I'm Jack Quartanala Krishna. I'm from That Pointless Podcast. It's a podcast where we bring on guests and we interview them with 
really, really, really messed up questions. <laughs> it's a comedy podcast. So if you guys are interested, go check that out. Uh, at that pointless podcast on Instagram, go follow us. We put most of our updates over there. Yeah, just chill. Awesome. They're like everywhere. So, <laughs> you know, well, yeah, I'm uh, happy to have you on. And it was, you know, nice of you to reach out and, and you know, show an interest in the podcast. So, um, oh, yeah, man. Before we uh, jump into things, and like I said, I'll, I'll give you a chance to, you know, plug your podcast at the end and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we can go into that in, in some more depth. But in terms of the conversation, um, with every guest I bring on here, because I bring on people who don't tend to know as much about agriculture, I tend to ask the same question to start off with. So, Jack, what, if any, experience or knowledge or, or interaction do you have with agriculture and farming? So I actually, I don't have much with farming, but I do have some uh, restaurant experience. I do, I've interacted with like food producers and stuff like that and suppliers because uh, I used to, back when I lived in Omaha, I was a marketing and small business consultant. So I would talk to food suppliers nearby and I would, I would talk to them and figure out like what specific health benefits, that kind of stuff their food had. I would talk to other like nutritionists and things and get that kind of stuff for particular like marketing things for different restaurants that I would go do that for. Awesome. Well, yeah, that sounds like you have, you know, a decent amount of experience with the uh, end of the food chain, which is the, uh, the retailer slash consumer side. Yeah. Um, so since you since you have that experience, are you familiar with the entire food chain, where the food starts, and and what steps it goes through to get to the plate? Not really. See, it, it, what I what I fail to know is the actual like farming techniques. Like I, I mm. did a small class on it what like four years ago, but <laughs> I really learned practically nothing from that class. Gotcha. So you have a common, uh, a common similarity with most people in the world is that they just don't, t- you know, they don't tend to know much about how their food is grown. They just know that it, it comes from, some of them don't even know it comes from a farm. Some of them believe it just shows up in the store. Uh, so that's kind of the goal of, of our conversation today is to kind of, you know, bring some, bring some light to some of those subjects, you know, ease up any misconceptions, provide some information on that kind of stuff. Um, and since, you know, I asked you about the, the food chain and, and since many people don't, tend to know about what the food chain is. I've talked about it before, but I'm going to bring it up again. So typically if we take a product, so uh, just name any product, any, any food, any commodity, beef, beef. That's a good one. It's my favorite. Uh, Hey, (laughs) so if we take beef, for example, so beef obviously starts off on the beef ranch, you know, instead of having a, a farm, they have, you know, they have ranches where they raise cattle. So, if we, if we take the beef product, so it starts off as a calf, obviously, and then it drops on the floor. It, it matures. Once it has a certain weight, it's sent it to the slaughterhouse. At the slaughterhouse is, is what was called as processor. So the entire chain is producer, processor, distributor, retailer, consumer. That's Those are the five steps. Yeah. So the producer, in this case, would be the rancher. You know, the guy who's actually raising the steers, that's actually feeding them out, that's actually selling them, all that kind of stuff. The processor is the slaughterhouse portion of it. That's where the meat gets harvested from the carcass it gets uh you know cleaned and inspected and all that kind of stuff that gets graded that way we know if it's choice or prime or select or anything like that and then from there it gets pushed out into the uh the packager and then to the distributor and the distributor takes it then to the retailer and that uses the slaughterhouse thing kind of like what they do at costco (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i'm just asking so uh uh when you say what they do at costco what what exactly are you referring to Uh, like in the back like the meat 
cheering room or whatever they call it they're like mm-hmm. chopping everything up and shelving it that kind of thing is that just that's just retail or do you guys count that as like uh actual butchering or whatever so that's that's a form of processing as well um they don't take live animals obviously and slaughter them back there yeah. but um, they will do cuts, like maybe they have you know larger cuts and they want to make smaller cuts out of them, or maybe they're doing trimming. Um, that's still considered a, a form of processing. And so that's the thing you'll learn about too, is that you know while there is a, a linear chain, the pieces of the chain can be kind of interchanged. So it goes producer, processor, retailer, or a producer, processor, distributor, retailer, consumer, but sometimes the retailer can be a processor, or sometimes the, the producer is a processor. Sometimes the producer is the distributor. And all the time, every step of the chain is the consumer. And so you'll see a lot of intermingling with that kind of stuff. So there are some, uh, there are some, uh, what's what I'm looking for? There, there are some aspects of, of the parts of the chain that are kind of similar to others. Like you mentioned, the uh, you know, Costco is, is trimming yeah. uh, meat or that kind of thing. They will uh, consider that processing for, like, for, for uh, you know, logistics purposes, but it's not the same thing as like a massive slaughterhouse facility. Ah, I see. So it's like a minimized one, just in-house production for a little bit, just to prime everything. Right, exactly. So yeah, in, in terms of like, you know, your general products, they usually go through, you know, the the processing plant on large scale. So that could be, you know, the, the slaughterhouse or for, for non-animal agricultural products, it's usually like, you know, they have like a cleaning facility for like fruit or they have a sorting facility for, you know, fruit and nuts and all that kind of stuff. And then from the, from the uh, processor, it goes to the distributor where it gets packaged and it gets shipped out to all of its you know, consumer um, endpoints, which tend to be picked up from the retailer, which is either a grocery store or it could be a convenience store, it could be a restaurant. You know, those are all considered like the retailer aspect of that. Of that. So you, you technically worked in the retailer aspect of the, yeah. of the food chain. I've worked there. I think I've worked with some producers too. I... I had to interact with some farms just to get information multiple times, just like particular information on special parts of the meat and different aspects of it and how they produce it, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I had to interact with them directly sometimes on that end. Awesome. So that kind of begs the question of, you know, what, um, what, per- what, per- uh, what perception do you have of producers in, you know, in terms of like, what have you seen in terms of, of what kind of techniques or technology or processes or, or legislation or you know, regulations? What, what have you seen around you know, the actual farming part of things, if, if you've seen any through your experience that has kind of... You know, Honestly, I've never walked into any of the farms. The majority of it is you go into a meeting and you talk with the farm producer person, just the mm. farmer there. They're, you just talk with them about exactly what they're doing and that kind of stuff. Like say there was, uh, what was it? It was turmeric. Yeah. I had to go to MDH, but MDH as we call it in India, it's, uh, it's the main supplier of Indian spices. So I actually went over there and talked to them on a conference call Hmm. and, uh, figured that stuff out with them directly with some of their farmers. So that was, that was actually pretty cool. It was kind of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. And you, you kind of have a unique experience here, you know, in, um, in the world, India is, is like, I think it's top three or top five, you know, uh, agriculturally productive countries in the world. Yeah. But it's, it's one of, if not the only country that's actually feeding itself with its agriculture and not the entire yeah. world. 
India has 1.3 billion people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely a, it's definitely got a population so to feed. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you take like the United States, for example, where I'm from, yes, we consume a lot of our own product, but we also do a lot of trading and that's for, you know, public relations reasons or to get products that we don't have here or whatever. India, a lot of their agricultural products goes back into their own economy, which is kind of a unique the unique thing nowadays, you know, most, most countries rely on imports yeah. or they rely on exports for their economies to flux. And, and India is, is one of the few that's actually able to, to sustain themselves off of their agricultural production. There's a lot of uh, much smaller farms there, actually. There's the mm-hmm. large farms, but then uh, if you go into South India and stuff, most, a lot of people actually have smaller farms. Like uh, my grandpa has a farm there, hmm. about like an acre and a half of land. He just farms that area on his own he has like a few chickens and it's like he will sell that in the market himself Hmm. so it's not like a company sanctioned one it's just independent and that happens a lot in india so there's a lot of independent sellers and stuff wow yeah no that's definitely a different like you don't see a whole lot of that kind of stuff here i mean there are still uh small farmers and there's a farmer's markets and that kind of stuff for, for small farmers but uh, kind of a, a you know a rapid trend that we're seeing is that small farms are starting to kind of die out and larger farms are starting to take you know take hold. Yeah, a lot of that has to do with you know regulations or or economic you know strife or or that sort of thing. You know, there's there's an abundance of reasons as to why that that kind of stuff is happening, but it's definitely a a common trend. So yeah, so uh, in terms of your um, you know so like you said you you said you've interacted with these producers before and you kind of gotten to you know talk to them about you know what they're doing and, and, you know, the health effects of their food and that kind of stuff. Has, has your interaction with them raised any questions about, you know, agriculture? Like have, have you wondered anything about what they're doing or have you wanted to learn more about anything that they have up, up their sleeve? In particular, I've always wondered about how they, like the machines in particular that they use, the software is there's a lot of technology involved with agriculture mm-hmm. as per what I've heard. I mean, uh, I know that I know one farm that bought like what, forty fifty thousand dollars worth of just tech one year and it wasn't even like tractors it was just tech just to help maintain and analyze all the parts of the farm mm-hmm. what sort of stuff is this that they're buying oh man the list goes on and on and on i mean you you hit the you hit the nail right on the head agriculture is is so much more technologically advanced that people tend to realize and there's just so much going on there that that you know would blow your mind. So we have, I mean, just to name a few examples, we have drones. Um, we use uh, self-driving tractors. We use a lot of artificial intelligence. Uh, we use robots for things like milking and uh, some some forms of crop uh, crop care. Uh, yeah. We have uh, a newer development called precision agriculture, which is technology based around the idea of being able to sense. Um, like you put sensors out in your field and it's able to detect things that normally wouldn't be able to be detected in the field. So like microorganism count, uh, the presence of insects, you know, moisture levels in the soil, uh, you know, the, the level of heat that the plants are receiving from the sun to tell them if they're getting enough sunlight. I mean, like there's so many things that they can determine and it's so precise. That's why it's called precision agriculture. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, my oh yeah. Like the, the amount of, of technological advancement in agriculture has just skyrocketed over the years and people tend to not even realize that it's happening. Yeah. I've seen like the, well, there was like Microsoft ads going out too, like what, like mm-hmm. last year where they yep. just uh, used drones for particular analysis of different uh, farms in areas and they would scan the area. They would check for different 
crops and they would figure out what crop would be ideal to grow there. Mm -hmm. That's just impressive. (laughs) I mean, yeah, no, it's it's definitely something that is, I mean, even a lot of farmers today are are surprised by how, how much technology can, can do. And so like, we're even seeing a kind of a new generation of, of agriculture that's, having to work together with other industries it has never worked with before so you have computer scientists you have engineers you have you know these these uh like uh, programmers and all these different so it's a whole quaternary industry sort of thing that they're Mm -hmm. just interacting with primary it's it's like a whole sector change Mm -hmm. and a big part of it too is that you know people tend to think of agriculture as a very simplistic you know uh, like if if you want to be involved in agriculture you have to be involved on the farm kind of thing and so that that tends to be a misconception that we try to uh, get around because there's a lot of high school students a lot of college students that may be really interested in computer science or engineering and they can't find jobs well there's tons of jobs working for agriculture that don't involve being on a farm i mean agriculture is a science uh, you know it's, it's a science field first and foremost so there's so much opportunity for kids to go into engineering or or programming or graphic design or you know all these different careers they normally wouldn't think of it's just for production of food purposes instead of just you know general purposes yeah so yeah no that's definitely one of the more interesting conversation pieces that people tend to attract to is the 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 technology involved in agriculture and what sort of robots do you guys use so the the robots that we tend to use are they they vary um there are robots that are used for a variety of different things we have um so there's a there's actually a company uh based out of the united states called the it's literally i kid you not called the small robot company and they design robots with names. So they have, um, I think it's uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry. And then they have like the overwhelming, uh, like the overarching AI. Her name is Wilma. And uh, these three robots, they all have different purposes. Like I think one sprays fields, one, uh, you know, monitors for for insect life. And then like one uh, detects like moisture level or something like that. They all have different jobs. Um, but we use, you know, we even use robots for our drones and for our tractors. That's how we drive our tractors. That's how we operate our drones to, to scan over certain areas. A lot of that is, is artificially automated. And so we, even, you know, we use robots for, for milking. So we have a robot that will actually put the milking machine on the cow's udder. We have a robot that will uh, spray the cow's udder with iodine to disinfect it. We have robots that will actually track, you know, uh, how far that cow has walked and how many calories is burned off and how much it's wow. eating. And I mean, like, the level of precision that, we, that we've been able to attain with robots. And not only that, the labor force that we've been able to save is, is huge. And that's, I mean, that's kind of one of the more controversial arguments about it is that, you know, yes, we're adapting to newer technological advancements, but we're taking away jobs from people, which isn't really the truth because there's still a ton of jobs for people that they're not filling. People don't want jobs in agriculture. So we build robots to replace them. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, one thing I, I just want to backtrack a minute. One, cow Fitbits. Uh, <laughs> that's one thing I want to address. And two, the other thing, uh, you said that the tractor is, is that like the first step in automated driving, just like farming? Pretty much. I mean. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is. It, are there, right now, is it like level five autonomous for tractors? Uh, I'm not. I'm not fully aware of what level we're at now, but I know that. So basically the, the way the tractors work is they have a GPS um, built into them. And so you could program the GPS from your office or from, you know, wherever uh, to, to the course the tractor needs to take. And then it just follows that course and there doesn't have to be anyone driving it. There doesn't have to, doesn't, doesn't have to be anyone who's marking where it needs to be going. You just, you know, point the, 
basically like, it's like your Roomba almost like you draw out the path for it and then it'll follow that path. And so it's, it's, I think that there's still room for improvement in terms of the autonomous um, nature of it, but it is one of the earliest forms of autonomous driving vehicles we've ever been able to uh, develop. And so that's kind of the thing that I always like to tell people is that agriculture is kind of the pioneer of, of technology in a lot of ways. I mean, there's, there's a lot of industries that are not nearly as technologically advanced as agriculture that people tend to think would be like, like, um, like the automotive industry, the automotive yeah, industry I, isn't nearly as advanced as agriculture crazy. in terms of technology. Yeah. I, I can't believe that. That's amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. That's new news to me. I, I used to be really interested in tech. So that this is like, Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No tech. I mean, I was a, before I even got involved in agriculture, I was a big tech nerd. I mean, I was planning on, on being an engineer, on being involved in, in the techno technological world and Silicon Valley and all that kind of stuff. I learned very quickly that agriculture is the place to be if you want to be involved in tech. Yeah. It is the next Silicon Valley right there. <laughs> exactly. It's that and, industry. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so, so you, you want to know more about CalFit bits I heard. Oh yes, most definitely. <laughs> I want to. I want to know more about these cow Fitbits. This is intriguing. Oh yeah, for sure. So, the cow Fitbit. Uh, that's actually a pretty accurate way of describing them. They they work very similarly to how Fitbit works. Um, they oh. can be used in a few different forms. So you can have a uh, kind of like an earring. So you have like a, like a like an ear tag punched into the cow's ear. That's a tracker, and it can it can uh, moderate um, hormone level, blood level. It can kind of uh, uh, not moderate what's what I'm looking for monitor it can monitor you know hormone level blood level it can tell you when the cow's in heat it can tell you when the cow is stressed it can tell you when the cow is sick um, they have anklet uh, bands that do similar things so the anklet band will work similar to a Fitbit it tells you how many steps the cow has taken how often the cow is laid down and that tells the farmer okay if, if my cow is laying down more than usual it's probably not feeling good or if it's taking an unusual amount of steps so there's probably something wrong and it can so whenever the cow's going to get weighed if their weight does not match the amount of activity they're having on their bands, then something is wrong. You know, if they're, if they are, you know, really, really light and they're not taking that many steps, they're probably sick. They're probably sick. But if they are really, really light and they are taking a lot of steps, it probably just means they're exercising a lot. And so there's a certain, you know, a certain utility to knowing that kind of stuff that could be useful for saving cows and keeping them healthy and happy and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that was kind of one of the newer technologies in the dairy industry that people are, are all kinds of excited about. So you guys are also pushing forward in biotech then is like a, there's probably some part of the sort of prediction algorithm you guys are fixing up in AI for that to actually detect the cow's sickness before it happens. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm not sure how far along they are with it, but I know that I've talked to you a few, a few farming uh, agricultural scientists is the proper word to use for them that uh, have, have discussed in depth the idea that they want to get towards that in the future. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't know how far along they are or if they are even getting it close anytime soon. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a, a something that is, is potentially down the pipeline. How do they make sure the cows don't run away? This is what I don't understand. There's not like, normally when you go to one of these farms, there's not like a fence really. In the, in the foothills, no, there's not really a whole lot of fencing keeping them in, in, in clothes. On your average dairy, though, they're kept in corrals, so they are fenced off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in, in, in a lot of like dairy operations, or in a lot of beef operations, they have them out in the foothills, and they have them turned out to pasture, and they don't have any kind of fencing around them. They just kind of let them roam free. Um, cows are, are, or cattle, excuse me, cattle is the, the proper 
uh, way to describe them because it, you know, bulls, steers, cows, heifers, they all behave the same way. They're routine animals. And so if you can train them to follow a specific routine, then they will, um, they'll, they'll follow that, that routine for basically their entire lives. So basically that's how we get them broken into walking into, because we don't push the cows into the milking barn. They kind of just walk themselves into the milking barn whenever it's time to milk. And we can train them to know when, when that is. And so we can do the same thing for those, for those cows that are wandering out on the hills. If we train them to know where their food is and where their home is, and it starts out young, obviously, when, when they're a calf, you, you walk them up there and then you walk them back and you walk them up there and you walk them back. You get them in this routine of this is my home. Yeah, they'll, they'll wander pretty far to try to graze, but they'll know where, where they need to come back when it's safe. And so they will, you know, when, whenever they have a calf, whenever they, you know, whenever they're pregnant, whenever they're sick, when, you know, anything, they'll, they'll come back home. And that way that we can, we can treat them or take care of them if we need to. Crazy, man. I, I never thought cows were that smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, most animals have some level of, of routine in their head. It's, it's almost instinctual that they have to follow some kind of routine to stay on track with their circadian rhythm and all that kind of stuff. Cows are no different, but they are very that smart. That does make sense, yeah. <laughs> so in terms of technology, was was there anything else that you had questions about or were curious about? Not really. Hmm. I'm awesome. trying to think. What's the irrigation systems like in that? What's that area? Because like, do, do you guys use computers to actually like figure out what places to irrigate or is that just like an automated it goes at this time no matter what kind of thing it depends on the operation and the area of the country i'm basing all this off of the united states standards because i know that different countries had different types of of technology obviously and different practices um but in the united states uh it depends on on which state because in california obviously we have drought so we're not really held to the same standard of irrigation that every other state is um in terms of is there farming in california still <laughs> we're trying other than cattle farming no there actually is so california is um this is another little known fact uh, california is the most agriculturally productive state in the entire country and, oh my. It, <laughs> and it's i think <laughs> i think it's the ninth largest agricultural economy like if it's if it was its own country it'd be like the ninth largest economy in the world or something like that um Yo. It's, it's one of the most agriculturally productive regions in the entire world, d- despite being a state. But then it makes sense why Silicon Valley is over there now. Okay. <laughs> so, wow. So yeah, that's kind of, and that's another misconception too, is that, I mean, even Californians don't realize that there's farming in California. That's how buried deep it is, but it's, it's everywhere. I mean, you can't go anywhere in California without seeing a farm of some kind. People tend to realize, like you mentioned cattle, that's a big thing here. Um, but people tend to, you know, acknowledge that we have a lot of wine and we have a lot of grapes and we have a lot of oranges, but we grow just about everything. I mean, there are very, very few crops that California does not grow like bananas, cocoa beans. I think like more of those tropical crops don't get grown here, but we grow, I mean, pretty much any fruit, vegetable or animal. If you name it, we grow it somewhere. Damn. That's impressive. Wow. (laughs) I would have never thought California to be an agricultural state, man. Right. I mean, and you got the Alps, you got all the beautiful sites and stuff, and then you never think it's an agricultural state, but then it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it does. Oh. And so it depends on where you are. Like, this is kind of the unique thing about California and why it's so, uh, so, so powerful as an agricultural state is that it has every possible climate. I mean, 
somewhere in California, there is a climate suitable for growing a, a, a specific crop. Um, you know, the coastal regions are better for growing things like, you know, strawberries or, you know, kind, kind of like uh, colder uh, acclimated crops. Whereas like up north, they grow, they have a lot of more like uh, heavy water based crops because they can afford to, they have water up there. I live in the Central Valley, which is right in the center of California. We grow a lot of, of tree nuts, like almonds, walnuts, pistachios. We grow a lot of fruit, like oranges, lemons, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, we have a ton of row crops. We have cotton, we have corn. Uh, we have sorghum, we have soybeans, tomatoes, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we have cattle, you know, cattle and hogs and sheep and goats and all that. So like there's a lot of variety in agricultural uh, development in California. And California actually has the most fertile land in the world. I mean, the soil in California has been confirmed to be the most fertile in, in, of any soil in anywhere in the world. Wow, I thought that was like Mesopotamia area because that's kind of what they teach you in school. They're like, that's where agriculture started i thought that was the most fertile it was california damn man yep so mesopotamia is a freaking powerhouse (laughs) yep no it's 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 definitely and that's the other thing too that that why it's an important conversation to have is that people tend to not realize you know not just where their food comes from but but how much of of you know how much of our land is is put into producing their food you know, you think of California as Silicon Valley and the Alps and Hollywood and Sacramento and all that kind of stuff. Complete, you know, people completely forget there's an entire center part of California that's entirely dedicated to growing food. And, yeah. you know, I can't say I blame them because, you know, how exciting is farming compared to Hollywood? But surprisingly it's an, pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an important conversation to have and people tend to just, you know, miss the mark on that thing. But like I said, I can't really blame them. Yeah. So, I think farming yeah. sort of gets a bad rep in schools these days. It does. I, yeah, I they they particularly like say primary industry, and this is like the lowest level of production, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But now it's it's really not right. No, and that's that's I've I've argued since day one that agriculture is poorly represented in the school system, and yeah. I'm actually studying right now to be a high school agriculture teacher, and one of my main agendas, I guess you could call it, is to try to get agriculture pushed as a more mainstream topic, not just in schools, but just in public conversation overall. You know, I don't need people to be out there supporting farmers every day, but at least being aware of of what farmers are are going through and and how much work is being put in and how much, you know, basically how much we're investing, how much we're investing into food production, because, you know, the number of farmers is decreasing. The number of farms is decreasing. The size of farms is going up, which is good kind of, I think, but like, we don't have that much land left to produce food with. If we keep, you know, if we keep talking about agriculture as if it's not important, then it's going to go away and we can't have that because then we won't have food. Yeah, that that would be a very big problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's kind of the whole point is, you know, of what I'm trying to do is, you know, bring more of that conversation to the table and say like, hey guys, I know that agriculture may not be the most exciting, but there's cool aspects of it. There's things you can relate to. I mean, I, I talk all the time about how agriculture is everywhere and we just don't realize it. I mean, it's in our movies, it's in our video games, it's in our books, it's in our, you know, every, everything in our life. And not to mention, you know, just in the things we consume, but also in, in just everything around us. I mean, I'm using a wooden desk right now. That's agriculture. Lumber is agriculture. The metal that was used to make my computer, that was all mined from a cave, which is considered agriculture. I mean. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mining is considered agriculture? I thought that was a completely different industry. 
they they are mostly different, but agriculture is is defined as the cultivation of natural resources to produce products, basically, and that's essentially what you know what all of these industries are: lumber, mining, uh, even fishing is considered agriculture. Hunting, um, you know, those are all all considered methods, and they're not traditional agriculture. Obviously, they are separate industries, but they still fall under the same category of you know we're taking things from the earth. To produce things that we can use to survive. I think we. I think one thing we just need to do is just take agriculture and redefine it. Yeah. No, I would say uh, so. I mean, there's a. I, I never thought fishing was a part of agriculture. <laughs> no, there's there's massive fish farms up north, up uh, up northern California. Oh yeah, because there's like those giant. Uh, uh, oh, they have like giant what breeding nets kind of thing. Yeah, they're called hatcheries. And then they do that thing in India where they go out with fishing boats and they have like, oh yeah, they have the giant nets that they swim through the water. I remember mm-hmm. those. Yep. No, that that's all considered agriculture. It's a different form of agriculture. It's not, you know, planting seeds in the ground and it's not raising animals, but it's still considered a form of agriculture. And that's the other thing too, is people tend to think of agriculture as just food. I mean, the clothes we wear is produced by agriculture. Everything that we that we use on our, on a daily basis, all the paper that we use, all the I mean, even plastic is is synthesized through animal byproducts. I mean, we use uh, like the bones and and fat of, of cattle to produce plastic and stuff like that. Wow. <laughs> now there are synthetic materials, obviously, but most of what we use on a daily basis is is somehow produced through agriculture. Damn, man. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's kind of my. That's my TED talk is just, you know, it, there needs to be more focus. I, like I said, I, I don't need anyone to be going out there saying like, you know, I want to be a farmer tomorrow kind of thing, but there needs to be more focus on just having a better understanding of what agriculture is and everything that it does for us. I, I think you can kind of remove the word farmer from it. Exactly. No, and that's, yeah, it's not really farming anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I don't, I think most of what people do now is probably just computer work, sitting down, analyzing things, figuring it out. It's more like biology and technology kind of stuff. No, you're right. And that's a big point too, is that, you know, people tend to think of, you know, going back to the farmer analogy, people tend to think of farmers as very simplistic, you know, maybe not the brightest people around, um, you know, they're wearing overalls, they have a straw hat on, they have one cow and a, and a, and a milk pail that they're, you know, hand milking, they have a, a cornfield or whatever. That yeah, hasn't been has a farmer a, for hundreds of years. Anymore. That's gone now. Right. Yeah. No, the modern farmer looks a lot closer to a scientist than people tend to realize. And so it's not that agriculture is completely adapted into a science. It's still a lifestyle. People still survive off the farm just like they used to, you know, hundreds of years ago. And it, it, it's it's not that you know their values have changed. They're still very family oriented. They're still based around the community, and it's not that we're treating it as if it's an entirely scientific and technologically based industry. It's that agriculture, farming, all of that has adapted now to a scale large enough that we can support the population off of it. And in order to do that, we had to have new methods of of producing food. We had to have technology. We had to have you know, uh, adaptations in our, in our scientific development, all of those things were necessary to produce more food. So the farmers learn how to do it. I mean, farmers are kind of considered the ultimate environmentalists, biologists, uh, mathematicians, uh, accountants, cause they have to be businessmen too. At the end of the day, they still have to make money off of this thing. And yeah. 
they even have to be able to predict the weather and understand how that how that's going to affect their crops and how they can fight against it. It's meteorology. It's biology. It's it's not really. It's gone from being a primary industry now. That's that doesn't exist. There is no primary industry of agriculture. Is mining too? I mean, wow. Yeah. So that's kind of my, you know, that's that's my um, my takeaway message at the end of the day is just, and I, I don't say any of this because I want people to, you know, go out there and be massive ag- advocates for agriculture. If they were, that's great. I'm not going to ask anybody to do that. But the reason I bring this up is because we have a lot of legislature, we have a lot of regulations, we have a lot of, you know, even purchasing decisions that heavily impact farmers and heavily impact anyone involved in agriculture, the scientists, the miners, the, you know, the lumberers, the ranchers, all of them are, are impacted by these regulations and by these, you know, by these laws and people are voting on them without realizing what it's doing. And so that's the, that's the goal at the end of the day is to just try to get people more educated about what their decisions, uh, ha- you know, what effect their decisions have on those who produce those products and how they can help, you know, mitigate some of that pain. I think part of it is politicians don't really understand it either. Right. No, they yeah. don't. And you know, there's, yeah. there's very, very few politicians that are agriculturally literate as we, as we would describe it. There are some, you know, there are some that actually come from agricultural backgrounds, but most of them are completely either oblivious to it or they don't care. Yeah. I, I, agriculture isn't really like regarded as that highly of a thing, even though I think it actually takes up a significant portion of like the government's budget. It does. It's, it's, and you know, in my opinion, it rightfully should because it's food, you know, it's, it's our survival. We should, we should be prioritizing that kind of stuff. But in terms of the conversations, in terms of the education, in terms of, you know, the, the legislature, it kind of gets, you know, it gets put on the back burner for some reason. Yeah. I feel like bringing more attention to that would probably be very useful and great for our economy, to be honest. That's kind of key. Yeah. And, you know, not to mention there's about 7 million jobs available for agriculture across the country. I think it's 7 million. I can't remember what the number is now. Um, Somebody go fact check that and and tell me what it is. Um, I think it's 7 million people or 7 million jobs available in agriculture in the United States. There's this massive, I mean, obviously right now things are different because of COVID and everything, but there's this massive yeah. uh, disparity of, of, you know, not having jobs available for everybody. There's tons of jobs available. Just nobody knows about them. I think, do, I think part of it is also like agriculture's presence in like job fairs and stuff. Uh, normally I went to a job fair like last week now with one of my friends I wasn't looking for a job, but he was, uh, you just walk past the agriculture stuff. I mean, it doesn't look as interesting as some of the other things like internships and agriculture. It doesn't sound that prestigious, but it is, I mean, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, agriculture has been, this is kind of the problem that agriculture has been, has been facing on in terms of it, it being their fault is that, agriculture is really, really bad at making themselves sound good. And so and it's not that hard as, as we've seen, you know, there, there are ways to make agriculture appealing to people. It's just that agriculture is very, very late to the media. And we've had people in, in media for so long telling our story for us, and it hasn't been the right story. And so 
now we're trying to play catch up. You know, we're trying to catch up and, and let everybody know, Hey, we've, we've got cool stuff going on too, but either they're not listening or we're not reaching the right audience fast enough. And so I think, you know, in terms of like the job market thing or the like job fair thing, if you want to appeal to kids and make them want to try out an agricultural internship, a lot of those companies that are trying that are, are taking the wrong approach. They're saying like, Hey, you know, you want to work um, in, in agriculture? And they're like, I don't want to be a farmer. No. Or like, you know, they, they don't realize that there's a lot of opportunities in those internships to, you know, not work on a farm, but work behind a computer or learn how to program or learn how to work with robots or learn how to fix technology or, or you know, do mechanic work. Or, you know, there's, there's so many other opportunities out there that those companies don't do the best job of, of, of advertising. I think Silicon Valley is actually doing a good job of that. Just looking into it a little bit right now, there's a lot of like different Silicon Valley mm-hmm. companies that are involved with agriculture directly. Like there are a lot of these new tech companies that we never hear of. We never hear of them because they're directly linked to agriculture. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's, it's crazy to me that, you know, we, so easily disconnect agriculture from the rest of society and from other industries. And really they're so tied up together that it's like, we almost can't separate them. So, yeah, I think that's all I, that's all I had. I mean, I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to, uh, want to discuss, but, um, I mean, Oh, tropical agriculture. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. So what, um, just, you know, what's the status of it or what, what are you, uh, what are you curious about? Particularly like the whole, what was it? It was like, it, particularly in like the Amazon rainforest with like the slash and burn mm-hmm. kind of stuff mm-hmm. to uh, change. What's the whole, like, I don't know. What, what, what's the deal with small farming? That, that kind of thing, small farming in tropical areas. Ooh, specifically in tropical areas. It's, I'm not sure how to answer that i mean it depends on what tropical areas because obviously different tropical countries are going to have different statuses of, of agriculture because of the you know the economic differences um i'm assuming you know because you mentioned like the rainforest i'm assuming you mean brazil um yeah you know with with everything going on with uh like them chopping down the, the rainforest to make room for like beef cattle and stuff like that yeah so the status of that, uh, I, I need to do more research on this because I've been asked this before and I didn't have a solid answer last time. Um, from, from what I understand that there's a company called Purdue that, uh, yeah, destroyed some of the, some, some of the Amazon rainforest to produce agricultural land. And I'm not sure what exactly this, I'm not sure what exactly the reason was for that. I'm not sure if there was an advantage to, to having that land down there versus up here, or if there was no land available, so they went down there. Um, I don't really know what the, you know, what the reasoning was for that. In terms of the the land use, I think that there's a, a decent conversation to be had about, you know, how much land should we be preserving for for environmental purposes, and how much of it should we be using for uh, the production of food? Because our obviously our amount of land being used for for food production has gone down drastically because of the um, the sudden rise in urbanization over the past 100 years. Um, but I don't really know, like, in, in like in terms of, I, I don't know what you're, you know, I don't know what you're uh, wanting to know about in terms of the, the Brazilian situation. I heard of something like this was like, what, five years ago now. It was like the slash and burn technique that they were using in Brazil, where like smaller farmers would go and they would uh, 
burn out like a specific area of this forest and then they would farm there and overuse the soil and then leave. Huh. I actually hadn't heard about that. I'll have to do some more research on that too. I mean, that is, that is something that does happen occasionally. You have farmers who are not in because there's a, there's a a few different types of, of farmers in terms of, you know, farmers that are doing it for generational reasons. Farmers are doing it specifically for business reasons. There actually are some corrupt farmers. I mean, I'm not going to lie there, you know, but to be fair, every industry has corruption in it somewhere. You're not going to have yeah, everybody. Be there's, no, there's no doubt about that. Right. And so, you know, we'll, th- there we'll are business in tech and you're <laughs> no, exactly. So there are, there are going to be corrupt farmers. There are going to be people who are, you know, abusing the land specific, specifically for business purposes. And, once they're done with the land, they just leave it behind, which is I personally think is terrible. Um, and I think that, that that kind of behavior should not be tolerated. Um, so in terms of that kind of stuff, if that's what they're doing, then then yeah, that's you know that's terrible. Could they, that land be revitalized? The soil takes a long time to come back to life. So we've learned very recently that soil is a living being. That that soil itself is alive and that it can behave as if it's uh, as if it's uh you know a living member of, of a community and when you when you wait what <laughs> <laughs> you just said dirt was alive i'm very confused <laughs> now i'm sorry man what no you're fine so yeah soil uh in in recent years soil scientists have somewhat discovered that soil can and and basically does act as if it's a living being um, it doesn't breathe, obviously, but because soil is a composition of a lot of different types of materials, yes, there are, are, are non-living components of soil. You have like sand, silt, and clay. You have rocks, obviously. You have all that kind of stuff. But in order for soil to be productive, to, to grow crops, it has to have a certain microbiome of organisms in it. And, you know, there has to be a certain level of, of life active that those organisms can convert those nutrients into a usable form for those crops to be able to use. So basically, if you want your crops to grow, your soil has to be healthy and you have to treat it as if it's a living being because it basically is, you know, it's maybe like the, the, to say that all, all soil all the time is living is just not accurate, but soil that is productive and soil that is healthy is alive and, and it, it's it's not alive in the way that we know, uh, you know, what is alive and what isn't, but it is alive in the way that there's so many living beings basically keeping it together that it's like its own community. Okay. So soil is like a biome then. So then yes. could you, okay, this is a sort of weird question, but um, so it's a bunch of microorganisms that keep the soil vitalized and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So could you do like, a stem cell sort of operation on soil? That's an interesting question. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I'm assuming you mean like if you need certain micro uh, microorganisms or certain nutrients in soil to revitalize it. Place them and breed them, yeah. I don't see why not. Um, I think it would be difficult to do because it's hard to determine what exactly soil is missing. Um, in terms of, of nutrients, you can definitely do that. That's, you know, fertilizers are used for that exact purpose, you know, uh, in, yeah, introducing true. nutrients back into the soil. And people tend to think that fertilizers are for the crops. No, no, no. Fertilizers are for the soil. You know, we use fertilizers to keep the soil healthy and keep the soil happy. And then the soil in turn keeps the crops happy and healthy. And so when we think about soil, so like, let, let me, let me kind of, because like there's, there's this argument that, you know, agriculture is destroying the earth and that it's, you know, it's hurting the soil and that it's just leaching it all the time. 
That's not true. There are farmers who do that, like we discussed. There's the people who just dry out the land and they leave. That's stupid because it's going to take forever for that soil to be productive again, and then we just wasted that land. Yeah. For the farmers that are actually taking care of the soil properly, they actually have developed practices that, that, that can maintain soil health and, and keep it much more productively active than it would have been even before farming it. And the way they do that is they use cover crops, they use genetically modified crops, they use fertilizers, they use technology. They can take nitrogen out of the, out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil to revitalize it. And so we have techniques like that and we have, um, what's the methane digesters are another example of that kind of thing too. So that one's not as related to soil. That one's more on the dairy aspect of things, but there's complaints about, you know, dairy cows producing too much methane and it being dangerous for the earth. Well, for one, that's it. Yes. Dairy cows produce methane, but not nearly as much methane as other industries. That's a whole nother topic. For two, farmers are actually producing new technology that can convert methane into energy, and they've been using that. They've been actually containing all the methane that comes from the dairies, and they try to power themselves. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, the cow farts are keeping the lights on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's really interesting stuff, in my opinion. I think it's really, really cool. Yeah. And so with all the, you know, with all the concerns about the environmental impact of agriculture, I can understand why people would be skeptical of it, but there's a lot of really, really cool science being, you know, being used to make sure that that stuff doesn't happen. You know, we have crops that are actually keeping the soil alive instead of vice versa. You have uh, no-till practices, which are newer, you know, it's, it's called regenerative ag. It's the idea that instead of tilling your farm every year and, you know, crop rotation, all that kind of stuff, you don't touch the, the, the soil. Like you, you can replace the crops, but you don't touch the soil because as soon as you damage the soil, you have to restart with those microbiomes. And they, they had different levels of no, no till. There's like, there's like uh, minimum till there's, there's, there's low till, but there's not like there, not everything that is no till is completely no till, if that makes sense. Um, but those, but those methods are used in attempts to make sure that the soil health is the number one priority, because if the soil health is good, you don't have to worry about your crop at the time because the soil will take care of them for you. I do have one last question on the topic of environmental stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you think about urban and urban integrated agriculture? I think that's what it's called, mm-hmm. but it's, what do you think about that? I think that, I think it's a good thing. Personally, I think that urban agriculture is, is a, is a net good. I don't personally think it's as, uh, it's, it's as sustainable as rural agriculture just because it's very difficult to integrate on a large scale. Um, there's definitely a place for it and it's definitely useful. And I hope that in the future we can find ways to integrate it more that way. If by some miracle, we actually do run out of land, which probably isn't as far away from a miracle as it sounds. Uh, we, we have other methods of, of, of sustaining ourselves. Um, in terms of the environmental impact of it, I'm not entirely sure what the environmental implications of urban agriculture are. I guess it would just depend on what is meant by urban agriculture. Cause there's a lot of different forms of it. There's hydroponics, vertical farming, garden, uh, rooftop gardens. My, my main uh, hydroponic is my main kind of thing. I, I, I was really, I was into agriculture for like a year. So I got really interested into this and mm-hmm. hydroponics and stuff where you would grow like the trees and separate plants on the building itself. Mm-hmm. So you would design the architecture around greenery and right. environmental safety. So then the building would have a net carbon 
input, right? Mm-hmm. That's what right. it's called. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I think if, if we could find better ways to do that sustainably, it could be a useful tool. As the technology exists right now, though, hydroponics and, and a lot of that urban style agriculture, a lot of the vertical farming, it's useful. It's just not quite sustainable. I mean, it's, it's difficult to pull off economically just because it's, it's newer technology, so it's going to be expensive for a while. And it can't produce as large of a, uh, as, as much of a yield on as, as small of a scale as uh, rural agriculture can. And so that makes it a little bit of an uphill battle. Um, I'm not going to say that it's never going to be like that. I think that at one point we will get there. It's just going to take a few more years of, of technological advancement for us to get to that point. Yeah. But yeah, no, that was, that was a good one. I hadn't, I hadn't really considered much of the, um, like I've talked about urban agriculture a few times on the podcast before, but I haven't really considered the environmental implications of it. Yeah. Uh, they, that's normally what it's used for. in like cities like China, they're, they directly consider the environmental impact of it because it, they have so much smog there that they sort of need the plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, so, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Investing in these kind of buildings, it's just key. Right. Yeah, if they can if they can find a way to do it sustainably, then I'd say go for it. I mean, I have no problem with it. Yeah. So, yeah, is was was that you know? Did you have anything else on your mind, or anything else you wanted to discuss, or anything? Not really. I think I think I've covered everything that is in awesome. my head. <laughs> well, good. I hope I was able to answer all of your all of your questions. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that I think that if that's you know I think that if that's everything on on your head and that's everything on my head, then that's probably a good a good stopping point for this episode. Uh, so I'd like to give you the opportunity to plug your podcast again and kind of talk about where people can find you or anything else you want to. Yeah. Plug. So once again, in case anybody who's listening forgot my name, uh, I'm Jack Parthanala Krishna. Yeah, it's a long name. <laughs> it's a long ass Indian name. So. Uh, I actually host a podcast. I run this media productions company with my friend Jake. He's in the back, but he's not like at the mic right now. He's that kid loves Taco Bell. I don't know why, but either way. Um, yeah, we run that pointless podcast. Eventually our company will come out with a few more podcasts. Uh, right now it's just that pointless podcast. What we do is we bring on people and we do an interview with like a twist. So it's like a normal interview, but with comedic questions. So we'd ask people questions like, what do you think Hitler's followers thought of him? Or I can't remember, actually, there's there's some good ones on there. But you can take a listen to it. It's anywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor. Uh, I don't remember where the other places are, but it's pretty much everywhere. Also, we're at that pointless podcast on Instagram, and we like post all our info on there. So if you want the latest updates, just go follow us over there. Uh, there's also bonus content there so there's some random there's some random stuff we post on there nice catch yeah that's that's pretty much it awesome dope podcast so check it out yeah you guys go ahead and and go over and show them all the attention they deserve i'll be putting all the links down in the description so you guys can check it out um i i haven't personally gotten a chance to listen to it yet but i did take a look at it It does look really fun and really interesting i plan on listening to it some more and real it's real short episodes Mm -hmm. 20 minutes three times a week and we just give you a chance to take 20 minutes of your day and laugh for a bit (laughs) awesome well yeah i'm i'm I'm, uh, looking forward to tuning in i hope you guys are too uh thanks again jack for coming on here and and talking ag with me
I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode as much as I did. It was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, again, go check out Jack. Show him all the attention he deserves. Go over to that pointless podcast. All the links will be down in the description. And uh, again, I just wanted to close out this episode by thanking Faith, my my one supporter for for the five dollars a month donation that they provided me. Um, I'm I'm you know again this is no obligation this is no requirement for you guys to support me in that in that way but it always is appreciated because it goes back into this project at the end of the day so um yeah thanks again to all of my uh faithful listeners and all of my great supporters and all of um my you know all the people who have been guests on this podcast and will continue to be guests on this podcast uh jack is going to come back for a second episode we discussed which is awesome i'm super excited about but um yeah i think that that's that's all I have for you guys. So thank you. Thank you again so much. And don't forget, if you ate today, thank a farmer.